Hello and welcome to the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 83, where in a moment we look at life insurance for business owners with guest expert James Irving Lewis. That's today's show topic. It's on the way, like I say, in just a second. But please bear in mind, if you have a general financial query, you're in the right place because we have an enormous resource of free advice right here. And you can access it all simply through delving into our back catalogue of shows because in our programmes to date, well, we featured loads of stuff, mortgages, pensions, investing, life insurance, and loads more. You name it, we've done it pretty much. And last week, we looked at financial planning for beginners. Remember, we can drill down and focus on pretty much anything forensically. Find the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll get us there. Like I say, an enormous resource, all available for free. Find our previous shows after listening to this one and have a binge on what you need. While you're there, if you could rate and review us, for instance, you could tell us what we need to address to help you out and follow the show. And then that way, you'll get that episode when we record it next time. I'm John Ellis. With me as always, the star of our show, it's Phil Anderson. Hi, Phil. Hi, John. How are you today? Good, thank you. Now, as we welcome uh, another guest on the show this week, it's James Irving Lewis. Tell me a bit about James and why he's here, Phil. Yeah, James works for Phil Anderson Financial Services. James specialises in protection, so that's things like life insurance, critical illness cover, income protection, that that sort of thing. I thought it'd be good to get James on today. One thing that's come up a few times recently is I've had a few questions from business owners concerning life insurance. So I thought it'd be a good topic for us to, to cover and good to have James on the show with us as well. Absolutely. Welcome, James. Okay. So you know me by now, Phil. I exist in this show to ask what everyone else would be too fearful to because they'd think it would come across as a daft question. Most folk expect that of me. There's no reputation to be left in tatters. So here it comes, James, get ready. When we're talking about life insurance for business owners, do you mean personal life insurance for the owner of a business or the life insurance that business owners might have for their employees? Um, I think it depends on the situation that the business that you look at. So if you're a limited company, you might still be a sole person, no employees. If you're a sole trader, it's a different look look at life insurance in a different way for them. So I think it depends on how the company structure is. But generally, when you're looking at business protection, your initial thoughts are looking at the director or the, the head of the business. That's where you'd, you'd first look at. Now, like, like most things, this sort of breaks up a little bit, doesn't it? So what sort of protection should business owners be looking at? So again, depending on the company structure, you'd be looking at things like relevant life, key person insurance. You could look at group income protection, if they've got employees, you can look at private medical insurance and you can look at things like shareholder protection as well. It depends on the company setup and every company you look at is different. Yeah. I'm and so there's so many, so many different things, is there? So it's good to go through some of the different options today. Yeah, absolutely. We, we, and we've been fairly vague as well in, in terms of our, our title for this one. I mean, life insurance for business owners, it's kind of a, an umbrella heading because that can mean everything from a, a one-man band right up to, well, Apple or Microsoft. And given the variation of the two and everything in between, there must be different setups. What are the different options depending on your on your company structure, James? So again, it'll depend on the you know again if it's a limited, limited company existing of a director or directors and perhaps employees. Then you know you you'd gear your initial discussion with the director and in terms of what's the right sort of insurance for him. Again, a sole trader, they are the business, so it's a completely different avenue. If they don't work, it's not just business that might suffer; it's their family as well because there isn't a drawing, there isn't money that can be drawn from the business in effect comes down more of a savings route for a sole trader versus a limited company that will be 
you have have money in the in the bank for drawings. So yeah, each as I keep come back to it, it comes down to the company structure as to how you'd look at it as to what's the best option for that company. One one of the ones that that we were going to speak about today, James, was relevant life insurance. Now I know that that's one for if someone has a limited company, they they can do a relevant life insurance plan. So tell us a wee bit more about that. Okay, so relevant life is in effect the death and service benefit. The it's a benefit to the company, the directors and the employees. In effect, it's a tax efficient way for sort of high earners to access life insurance. It's not classed as a benefit in kind, so there's no additional income tax or national insurance to worry about. Works in a similar way to personal life insurance. The director, for instance, becomes you know, passes away. Money is then released to the company to then enable for the, the company to be wound up by the family. The family would generally be down as beneficiaries of that, or the other directors or shareholders would be down as beneficiaries, depending how it's set out to be paid out. And so that then becomes a tax-free payout, and that is there to help you know, wind up the company or to buy out the shares, et cetera, depending on how, again, the corporation is set up. So really a, a relevant life insurance policy, it's pretty much an, an individual death and service policy that offers tax-efficient life cover for employees. So what are the, the tax advantages of it, James? So it's a tax-efficient way of paying the premiums. So the premiums are paid for by the company. It reduces the company's corporation tax bill as it could be treated as a business expense. So it's not, again, like I said, it's not treated as a benefit in kind, so there's no additional income tax to pay. The, co- the company itself pays it from their business account, and at the end of the year, that becomes a taxable benefit in effect. So they've paid for this from the company, and the company's accountant would then say, well, this has been paid for by the company, and it becomes tax deductible. I don't know if you'll remember this, Phil. Years and years and years ago, I, I went along to, it was kind of a, a coffee chat, there was maybe 15 of us in the room and you were there, you just launched your business and you were there and you were talking about the sort of things that you could do through your business. And you said, well, look, this is an expense. If you're a, if you're a sole trader, then life insurance is one of these expenses that you can, you can put through your business and, and sort of lessen the, the, the cost of yourself and still be insured. Is that, was that the sort of thing you were talking about? Back uh, then? I mean, re- relevant life policies, they, they've been on the go for quite a few years now. And effectively what it is the, the policy holder is the employer, so the company is the, the policy holder, the employee is the life covered, and then it's held in what's called a relevant life trust. So the, the life insurance written under a trust, and then usually you've got the, the sort of beneficiaries there who, who receive the, the money. Yeah, I was going to ask James about that, who, who the, the beneficiaries actually are. Just go over that one for me again, James. If you so could. again, the beneficiaries... Can be family members, dependents, friends, business partners, or charities, depending again on what the the person that sets a policy up wants. They would name a primary beneficiary. So the policyholder to do that would need your know, full name, phone number, date of birth, address, and of course the the beneficiary's consent that they're happy for that to go ahead. The beneficiary would then be depending on how the estate is set up. Would be then would then work it, work that through with the executor say of a will that would then divvy the money how it was supposed to be dealt with. So if it was all going to a charity or if it was being split to a charity and beneficiaries, et cetera, your additional beneficiaries, that's what the, the, the will and the estate side of things would, would, would deal with. If it was going down the shareholder route, then the shareholders would then be paid the money to be able to buy the family out of their part of the business so that the shareholders would then you know, continue to maintain full control of the business. Another good thing about relevant life policy is if, if a claim is ever made and the money pays out, 
It doesn't form part of your estate, usually for inheritance tax purposes. And usually with that type of policy, the insurers will pay them out pretty quickly as well. So that's a couple of other benefits of doing a relevant life policy. In, in the last couple of years, many businesses have taken out bounce back loans, coronavirus um, business interruption loans. They're called sibils, mm-hmm. they're often called. But one thing, one question, James, is there a legal requirement on businesses to have some sort of policy in place if they've taken out these loans? No, I mean, again, it's up to the business. It's I've I've come across you know clients that have had that debate, and you know they said, well, you know, if I've got money in my savings, I've got enough money to pay anything I need to do that. We've got assets within the company, etc. There's no legal requirement to have to have a relevant life policy or or some form of protection to protect that side of the business. It's a personal choice. I would always advise that you have something in place. Because it's, again, best practice for you. It means that the onus isn't on those that are left behind to have to try and deal with everything that's there. Like Phil just pointed out, bounce back loans. It seems to be, over the last couple of years, one of the biggest things that people are missing when they're looking at their protection aspect. They're not including that as being you know, a potential forfeit of the company. Now, I couldn't tell you how much UK-wide was taking out bounce back loans, but it was quite high. Mm-hmm. Um, I think everybody that could have gone for it went for it which means there will be many businesses out there that do have that. If that business itself is still struggling to try and catch up after the last two years, yes, they're paying their banks back loan back. Some of them are already just starting to pay it back now. They took, took the long, as long a break as they could before they made, you know, start making their first payment. So they're not any further forward than they would have been two years ago before they took it out. They just have that extra additional debt. So my advice would always be if you've got debts with the company, protect those that will be left behind in the same way that you protect your mortgage on a personal basis. Yeah, makes sense. A couple of things crossed my mind as you were talking about this. And I, I'm thinking even something like Phil's own journey, and maybe Phil, you can chip in on this one as well. Yeah. It, it, it sounds to me that as your business grows, so you maybe start off and it's just you, and you, you've got one type of policy, but as your business grows, you have different requirements that you have to build in. At that point, would you change policy or would the policy adapt around you? Is, I mean, the, the, one of the questions I was going to ask, James, was how often business owners should review their protection mm. arrangements. And I, I know for me personally, it's something I review quite regularly. But as the business grows and develops, it's something that you, you should be looking at fairly regularly. But what would you say for that, James? How is it a time scale that you would recommend for people reviewing things? As a, as a bare minimum, I'd say every 12 months. A year is a long time for things to change. Within that year, your company could be going up, it could be going down, you could have taken on more employees, et cetera. So you, in terms of the business side of things, you would review your policies at least annually. Mm-hmm. Looking at your own company, Phil, you started on your own. Yeah. You have so many employees, but you know there might have been a, a sort of boost year where you took on maybe five. Yeah, and and that's that's quite a big change when you're talking about this kind of thing, isn't it? Another one for me. I mean, I I started off as a sole trader for about the first year and a half, two years, so things were different at that point. And then once I set up as a limited company, that gave me more options for my life insurance, so that I I could then look at taking out relevant life policy. Now, we're kind of almost jumping ahead, but because yeah, I know you normally ask about my story <laughs> at the, the end of the podcast, but like for, for myself, I, I have a, a relevant life policy. Now, I pay around £50 a month for, for my cover. Now, I'm a higher rate taxpayer, so for me to earn £50 a month, by the time I pay tax, national insurance, and the company pays 
like national insurance as well. The, the real cost to me for a £50 a month life insurance policy, if I was paying that out of my own money, it would be £80.86 per month. So that, that's how much it would actually cost me for a £50 a month policy. Now, by paying it through my limited company, the business then gets corporation tax relief. So the net cost of a £50 a month policy is £40.50 per month for me. So instead of it, in real terms, costing me £80.86, it only really costs £40.50 per month. So it's effectively life cover for half the price. Mm -hmm. Now, I am a higher rate taxpayer, but even if someone was a basic rate taxpayer, it still saves them 41%. So there's real tax advantages of doing it through the the business. And another thing coming back to to my story, my ex-partner used to be a director in the business. Now, we, we took out a relevant life policy for her as well. Now, when we split up, she then stopped being a director of the company. But one of the good things, the, her policy, I think, was with Royal London. And what they allowed us to do was keep the cover for her. But instead of it being paid through the company, I now just pay that premiums out in my own pocket. Because it was still important for me to have that sort of cover that if anything happened to her, there's still money left there for helping me look up the, the kids and stuff. So is that this, as your circumstances change, your needs change and, and the options can change as well. So there are there's quite different options between, for example, being a sole trader and a, a limited company. Yeah, we're going to come on to that in just a second. Just finally on, on this sort of uh, point of it, the other aspect about this kind of thing I was thinking about, um, I suppose, James, is that for companies setting up this type of policy, they can probably use it as a benefit for employees to make the package they offer a little bit more attractive, can't they? Yeah, absolutely. So... Again, if you have that, you know, a relevant life policy, et cetera, and you, or you have employee cover in there, one of the biggest draws just now for, again, it always has been with employment, is what is that? Why would that employee want to come to your company? Why would they want to work for you? If the company has benefits there that provide something, you know, should the worst happen, et cetera, then it makes that employment more attractive. Prime example would be you know, probably Aberdeen side, oil and gas. You work offshore, there's a death and service benefit. It makes it attractive for that person to say, well, look, if the worst happens when I'm offshore, my family's covered. There's extra money for my family. It's something they don't pay for. It's something that's already built into the company. And most large corporations have that in place. A lot of small ones do. Um, so it's always, yeah, the, the more that a company can offer to attract somebody, they'll attract the right people to that job. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, all good stuff for companies with employees. Phil mentioned it earlier. What options are there for sole traders here? So sole traders, I'm a sole trader. So you've got both sides of the coin here with Phil being a limited company and myself being a sole trader. So for us, it's a, the policies you, you get in place, you, there is no taxable benefit from being a sole trader for putting a policy through the company. It's set the same way as a personal life insurance policy. That's basically what it is. So where you'd have your, somebody that, you know, somebody doesn't work in this industry, doesn't have a company, et cetera, would have a personal life insurance policy. A sole trader would have exactly the same. They're protecting their profits, but the cover is, is written as personal protection and it's for death or critical illness and is then left in trust for their family. So the family would then be able to then wind up the business or, or whatever they want to do with it, you know, pay any debts off with that money. So where you'd have a personal protection for a mortgage, you'd have exactly the same in terms of for a sole trader for, their, for the business side, you know, a small lump sum that's going to be there to pay off any debts or pay off any 
anything that the business might have to, to, to have to, to clear it. And that's where we come in. We would look at, okay, what have you got in, in you know, debt-wise with the company? What have you got that needs to be paid off? What would need to, what would you need to close the business down should the worst happen? And that lump sum would then be put aside for the business, but be written as a personal life insurance policy. We, we spoke quite a bit today about relevant life insurance, James, but what other insurances should business people be considering? So you would look at potentially shareholder protection. So this would provide the shareholders with the funds to buy the shares. From, I think we spoke about this a wee bit ago, buy the shares from, from the other, one of the shareholders should one of them pass away. When you've got shares in a company, depending on how the, the will is written, that shareholder dies, the shares pass to the family. That family then has, a, has a, a right to be involved in that company. And that family may not want to be involved in that company. So it gives the shareholders that money to be able to say, well, look, at market value, we will buy those shares off you. It means that the other shareholders, directors, have still maintained full control of the company and not have somebody in there that potentially has never had anything to do with the company. You can look at executive group income protection policies. Again, they're better suited to limited companies. Designed to pay out a monthly benefit for the duration that an employee is unable to work. They can provide a sum to the company that then is taxed at PAYE before it's then paid back to, again, the director or you know, an employee. So it helps in terms of, of paying out sick pay, et cetera. And it means that in line with that, the employee would receive above statutory sick pay, which we know is, I think, about £93 or a, or a month, uh, sorry, a week, sorry. So it would provide a decent value. You've got sole trader income protection, which again is set up as a personal plan. That relates to a maximum of 60% of your monthly salary is what you'd get back. There's no tax on that and it's a tax-free benefit. Other options would be private healthcare. So again, what we've seen a lot with, with the last years of COVID is the waiting lists for the NHS are huge. So again, having a private healthcare plan, which is classed as a you know, benefit that you can put through the company, means you've got potential of skipping NHS waiting lists to get your operation quicker, you can be seen quicker. So again, that's a really good thing to have, to, to have in place and well worth looking at. I know one that I'm considering at the moment as well is like key person insurance. I mean, as, as a business owner, we, we've a few key employees where if they were off, you think, right, what would be the cost of replacing them? So, for example, we, we took on one chap probably about a year ago now through a recruitment agency, and it cost us 12 grand to, to get him through the recruitment agency. And not only that, it was the time of getting another advisor in place as well. So things like key person insurance can be the other ones to, to consider for businesses, but so many different things out there. And it is, it's just really sitting down with someone to look at all the different options because there, there's so many different things available. Mm. As an employee, that, that private healthcare one, Especially, well, I, I was going to say especially now, but at any point in, in the existence of the NHS, having private healthcare up above it and possibly jumping a queue if you've if you've got an ill uh, an illness or something like that is going to be especially attractive to a potential employee, especially if it, you get ones as well where it passes on to the family, so the family member can use it on the basis of them having. Uh, their 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 partner having the uh, the private healthcare package, I suppose. Okay, so just close this one up for me, both of you would, and I'll let Phil go first because James was speaking for quite a bit there. So maybe he wants to get his breath back, have a glass of water. But the key takeaways for for business owners when it comes to life insurance, both of you, like I, I would say, the key takeaways are to to consider protection. Some people see it as an expense, whereas others see it as like 
a benefit. I mean, it, it gives you peace of mind. That, that's the main thing. So, like, I, I pay money out each month for my life insurance. I, I've got personal policies. I've got these relevant life plans. And I, I guess for me, I'm really hoping that it's money that goes and never gets used. Mm. But I, I've seen it so many times in the past where, sadly, people do sometimes die prematurely. I've seen it, sadly, quite a, a number of occasions now. So I, I would say sit down with a financial advisor or a, a protection specialist, have a look at the options. We, we spoke a wee bit about the, the relevant life policies. If, if you're company director and, and own a business, great way for, for tax-efficient life cover as well, could effectively make it half the, the prices to what you would normally pay if you were paying it out yourself. And again, just coming back to relevant life, really what happens there is that the employer takes out a policy on the employee's life policies then put in trust for the beneficiaries if that employee dies or if it's the the director if they were to die at that point the, the money is paid out the trust makes a claim and the policy pays out to the, the trustees so they, they're really simple policies it's a real tax efficient way of getting your life cover so definitely something for people to consider Okay. James, anything to add to that or has Phil covered most of it? I think trying to, try, try to <laughs> Phil Craig's covered it all I Good. think the easy way to you know, business protection for for somebody looking at it that, that doesn't really know the ins and outs, it can be a minefield. That's mm. our job is to make it simple for them. Our job is to sit down, look at all their options, break it down in a way that is easily understood, and advise them as to what is best practice for them. Everybody will protect their mortgage. Everybody has to insure their car, and the business is always sidelined from that. It's always a, a, an afterthought. But your business is your, is in effect your baby. You've yeah. raised that business. You've raised it from nothing. You've built it up to where it's at. So why not protect it? Why not, not have it looked at? It's another one of these, isn't it? I bet they've got their dog insured, but possibly not their business. Pretty much, yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Phil, we always do this, but you, you find inspiration through various people you admire, and you do love a quote. What have we got on the subject of today's show? Life insurance for business owners. The, the quote I've got this week is from Benjamin Franklin. A policy of life insurance is the cheapest and safest mode of making a certain provision for one's family. Hmm. Now, Phil is uh, really keen on trying to help you with your financial queries. If you want to email a question to us, please do. And as always, we can ask them anonymously if you wish. Let's get on to this week's uh, contact details coming up in a second. Give it to you after these. Here's our first question. I heard an episode a few weeks ago about how you can potentially rearrange your mortgage repayments to free up additional spending money uh, as things become more difficult. I wondered if there were any other payments we could do that with temporarily, like pensions or insurances. I mean, I'll, I'll cover the pensions and I'll ask James to, to maybe speak about the insurances in a second, but pensions are much more flexible these days than what they used to be. If you've got a more modern style personal pension, then usually you can stop payments in, you can start them up again or amend the amounts going in pretty easily on most plans. It might be that someone's got an, an auto enrollment or workplace pension. And again, it is possible to opt out of that. After a period of time, your, your employer would need to auto-enroll you back in again. If you do opt out of that type of scheme, it's important to note that you could be missing out on contributions from the employer. So you would need to think carefully about that. But I know some people are looking at just any ways to, to try and cut their outgoings just now. For things like life insurance, James, the, the companies do payment holidays on those? They can do. There's been, it did happen during COVID. There was the odd occasion where the life insurance company said, look, yes, you can take a couple of months break. However, that would still be added onto your policy. 
Now, whether that was then divided over the course of the next 12 months, so your payments went up for 12 months, or whether it's, you know, they added it on at the end of the policy, et cetera. At the end of the day, you're paying, let's say, £40 a month for a policy. If they gave you a payment break of two months, you owe, to keep that policy running, you technically still owe them 80 quid. So that would have to be added back in to keep the policy efficient and running. If you didn't, the policy would end up being cancelled by the provider. So yes, you 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 have you did have that option. Well, I'm not entirely sure if they're doing it just now because COVID's now moved on, but it was during the last couple of years that option was there because they'd rather have people who were insured to cover their mortgages than not have it at all. I know it's not really something that's so common with, with things like life insurance, is it? But I know in mortgages, you take payment holidays and then pensions are sometimes a little bit more flexible, but I, I suppose it's a difficult one for the insurance industry to kind of to deal with, but... Uh, I'd say, again, if someone is struggling financially at the moment, it's good that they kind of seek advice. You've got things like Citizens Advice Bureau. There's the, the Money Helper website. There are places and, and companies. We had quite a few shows ago. Wendy Fleming from Ditch Debt with Dignity was on the, the show. They're more local to the Aberdeen and northeast of Scotland. But they, there are companies out there that people can speak to. I mean, the one thing, like, like I said, Phil said, if, if, there, if you are struggling financially, if you've got a policy in place that is a life or critical illness policy, the bulk of that monthly payment is your critical illness. So rather than cancelling the entire policy, come and speak to speak to a financial advisor, speak to us. We can rejig that policy for even a short period of time. So it's better to have something in place than have nothing. If it meant you removed your critical illness policy at your request, the critical illness aspect at your request for that period of time, but kept the death part, so you reduced your monthly payments, at least should the worst happen, there is still some money coming. Cancelling your policy and then looking at it maybe five years down the line when things mm-hmm. are better and you've got health conditions means that what you were originally paying would be more expensive. So I'd always say, come and get the advice. Good advice there. Just to go back over that for one moment, I guess, Phil, what, what you were saying there is if you've got something like mortgage or a pension, which is like a really long-term thing, yeah. you've got more chance of maybe having a payment holiday than if you do with a policy which is over a shorter period. Yeah. You're going to see the the increases that they have to place on that that shorter policy uh, more substantial than you would if it's something over 25 years. Yeah. That's yeah. It. I mean, some, somewhere down the line, you kind of pay for it. I mean, if you, you're not paying so much into your pension, the longer you go doing that, then the less retirement income you're, you're going to have. And likewise, if you take a payment break from a, a mortgage, at some point in the future, you're going to need to pay that money back at, at some stage. So, And then you could end up paying more interest because it's maybe more of a debt over a longer period. So... There are consequences to doing that, but I know at the moment a lot of people are just thinking, right, I need to get by more yeah. shorter term just now. Yeah, it's, it's it's throw weight out of the balloon, isn't it? It's, it's just get, get anything out of there so we can stay afloat. I know, I know how it goes. Uh, next is uh, is one from Helen, Helensborough. I'm not even making that one up. Hi, Phil. I recently received a small inheritance and I'd like to be able to make it grow somehow. Is there one way above any others that you'd recommend or should I simply seek professional advice? I definitely say to seek professional advice. I mean, at, at the moment, interest rates at the Bank and Building Society are still really low. I, mean, I know interest rates have gone up slightly, but the, the interest rates at the Bank and Building Society are still pretty poor in the grand scheme of things. And just now, inflation is really high. So what you want to do is try and maximise the returns if you can. If, if you don't have any plans for the money, then certainly I, I would go and seek out some sort of professional advisor have a look. There's a website called unbiased.co.uk. You can find financial advisors on there and definitely good to, to try and seek out some advice for that money, I would say. 
I'm going to throw myself in with one of these stupid questions again, Phil. It's a comeback question. How come when the rate of interest is going up and everything else, it doesn't seem to be reflected in, in like savings accounts? Why, why are we not like seeing that going up as well? They are going up slightly, but not a lot. I mean, the, the Bank of England base rate is still historically very low. What you sometimes find is that, not all the time, but the base rate may go up by quarter of a percent but the banks don't always pass all of that on to, to the customer. So their interest rates might go from, say, 1% to 1.2. They might not go, if they say, 1% to 1.25. So they don't always pass on the, the full benefits. Mm-hmm. Same with mortgages. Sometimes, again, the base rate, when it comes down, they don't always take their... If you're on a tracker rate, it'll come down exactly by what the base rate moves. I've seen that where they sometimes just squeeze a little bit of extra margin out of things. But... At the minute, I mean, interest rates are still really low. Inflation is a lot higher than than what it normally is. So it's not a good time for savers at the moment. Mm, Those sneaky bankers. I would just say as well, before you get in touch with a question, you might want to take a look at our back catalogue because we've covered a fair few topics so far and we may have touched on what you're interested in. Thank you to James for being our guest once more. uh, And thank you for joining us for the the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson. Now, if you need a helping hand with anything we've been discussing or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for finance. Search Phil Anderson Financial Services online or join the new Facebook group for the show. Search Personal Finance Community. That's Personal Finance Community on Facebook. Phil's on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. Or why not email Phil a question he can answer on a future show. His address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send him your question. Like I say, Phil could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. And please be assured, we won't use your real name if that's what you'd prefer. Remember, if you found this useful, please rate and recommend us. And please follow us on Apple or whatever you get your podcasts. That way you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it. You'll get all the links you need on Phil's social media. Good luck with your money. Phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks, John. And thanks very much for coming on, James. Cheers, Phil. Thanks, John. 